The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival of the Passover heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, Don't be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word about Jesus. And so many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Continuing five chapters later in John chapter 19, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the people gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown and the thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the religious leaders and the officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. But the religious leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be God's son. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. Jesus gave him no answer. Do do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize that I have power either to free you or crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who has handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the religious leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on his judge's seat. It was the day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the religious leaders. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. So finally, Paul, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. And so the soldiers took Jesus away. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider this narrative during this season, we pray for understanding as to what you have for us to understand here today, in Jesus' name, amen. Really glad that you are here. Welcome to Avon Hope. If you are new, fun times with our kids today. I am not a kid, 
but I'm childlike enough that they allowed me to be in this kid-focused service today. So thank you, uh, kids, for all that you've done, and Margaret for uh, leading us today and for letting me to, uh, to be a part of this in a, in a special way. Kids' Church, Children's Church, is continuing both here and downstairs. We've just got kids everywhere today. And uh, again, we are glad for all of our kids and what you've done and for your participation today. And again, for all of the, you who are here, we are in the midst of our uh, time of year, the season of year, where we th we're being thoughtful in particular about the work of Jesus leading up to his death, his death, then resurrection and ascension. And so over the last few weeks, we've been journeying together on the preparation toward the day of crucifixion. In fact, you can go back and hear previous teachings in this series on aventhope.org. We hope that you'll take advantage of hearing that, including Kyle's message last uh, week. And then over the next few weeks, we'll continue this journey together. And we've got all kinds of exciting things happening during the Easter season. Kyle's going to get, give you more details. But maybe the most exciting thing is that we are going to be gathering in Central Park on Easter Sunday morning at 7 a.m., for those of you early risers to come and celebrate the resurrection, and then again at 11 a.m. And it's going to be a great time. 7 a.m., we have kind of an intimate gathering there by the Bethesda Fountain, one of the great uh, locations in Central Park. And then later at 11, we'll be at the Nomberg Bandshell, just a few uh, feet away, literally. So we hope that you'll come out and enjoy that time together with us, as well as next Friday evening for our Good Friday uh, worship gathering. Anyway, all kinds of exciting things during this important time of the year, and we are in the midst of our teaching series on the subject of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and the implications for us. And so today, and the kids read the, uh, another version of this same passage, we hear about uh, Jesus, what would Christians celebrate as Palm Sunday, Jesus coming into uh, the city of Jerusalem on the last week of his death and being welcomed by this great crowd. And actually what we see is, is a dichotomy between two responses uh, toward Jesus. We see the, the great crowd of people. These are people who had heard about Jesus. They've, some of them may have seen Jesus or heard him uh, in person. Some of them certainly heard from other people. Some of them may have been healed by Jesus. But as they heard that he was coming into to the city, into the city of Jerusalem. And by the way, this was a time when people would have been in the city for the great celebration of Passover. And so if you were uh, a Jew in the first century, it would be part of your tradition to go to the city of Jerusalem. So people were there, they heard about Jesus coming, and so they lined the streets to welcome him in as king. Now this is not the first time that this has happened to Jesus. Jesus had been uh, tried to or had been recruited by the crowd to to be welcomed as king in previous incarnations. Uh, Jesus always refused this request, and so there's something unique about this time when Jesus now is no longer refusing the uh, public's acknowledgement of his, as king, but he's embracing it. In fact, he tells his disciples, as their kids shared, to go and get a a, a donkey, a, a young colt, and uh, he was going to ride this donkey into the city. Jesus wasn't known for being on horseback or on, on, on the back of a donkey. He walked everywhere, but this was unusual. And so he was referencing, as again our kids mentioned, a passage in Zechariah that had been written hundreds of years before this that was predicting what would happen when the Messiah, when the Christ was to come uh, in and receive his throne. And so the people were excited 
about this. And so they lined the streets, and Jesus rode that uh, donkey into the city. But there is a dichotomy in responses here. So you have the, the, the massive population who are really excited about the idea of Jesus and Jesus serving as king. But conversely, you have the group of religious leaders, and the religious leaders are irritated by Jesus. In fact, they have a history of being upset and, and annoyed about Jesus and all that he is about. And so that leads to a question, with all the people so excited about Jesus, what was wrong with those religious leaders? Why were they so upset at uh, Jesus? What was causing them such consternation about uh, who Jesus uh, was? Because we see, as the story goes, that five days after this event, where the Jesus is welcomed into the city, he now stands at the, at the request of those very religious leaders before the political leader of the day, Pilate, and he is being tried uh, in a case that was going to require capital punishment. So he was up facing his death. And so how do you have this mass of, of humanity, the, the, the people who were for Jesus and excited about him and excited about him as king. And you had the religious leaders who are so antagonized by Jesus. Well, I think there are a, a couple of very, very uh, easy to spot responses to this question as we read through the entire gospel uh, story. First of all, the religious leaders were upset at Jesus because they disliked his treatment of their traditions. He disliked their treatment of, his, of, of their traditions. Uh, they just felt like he was not on the same page that they were. And this came out in particular in a number of areas, but in particular to the way in which he kept the Sabbath. Uh, we see in Mark chapter 3, uh, this coming to a head. Uh, we're told in Mark chapter 3 that uh, Jesus went into the synagogue once. We've talked about this story several times over the last few months. Jesus went into the synagogue, and there was a man who had a shriveled hand. And some of the religious leaders were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, uh, stand up in front of everyone. So Jesus calls out this, this person. And then Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill it. Uh, but they remained silent. So he calls out the religious leaders and said, what, what, what should we do? There was a man who's, who has a shriveled hand. Uh, should we heal or not heal? What's lawful to do the Sabbath? And they are uh, quiet. He looked around them in anger, we're told. This is, by the way, one of the very few cases where we read that Jesus was angry. Jesus was angry at the religious leaders. He's there. He calls them out. This man needs healing. Is it lawful to heal? They are silent. They remain silent. And so Jesus says, stretch out your hand, and he heals this man. And we are told in verse 6 of Mark chapter 3 that the religious leaders went out at that point and began to plot with the Herodians. So these are the religious leaders plotting with the political leaders how they are going to kill Jesus. So Jesus challenged their traditions. He, 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 he irritated uh, them, if you will. I mean, he goes into the synagogue. He finds this man. He invites the man to stand up. He looks at the religious leaders, heal or no heal. They're quiet. He's angry. He heals the man, and they decide, we got to kill this guy. 
What was it about the religious leaders and about their relationship with Jesus that made them so upset that they wanted to, to get rid of him? We, we see that he uh, did not abide by the traditions in the ways that they uh, anticipated. They disliked his treatment of their traditions. Uh, secondly, we see that uh, they rejected his whole premise for authority. In John chapter 5 and verse 16, we read this narrative. Uh, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, so again, the Sabbath issue was there was certainly a part of the deal. The Sabbath, they had traditions toward the Sabbath and how it was to be kept. Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the religious leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. In other words, hey, the father works on the Sabbath. I'm working on the Sabbath. This is how it works. Uh, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, the religious leaders were told. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath in their minds, not only was he messing with their traditions and their interpretation of, of how to do things, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, in, in first century, the first century in, in Near East, the idea of relating yourself in terms of father and son had a particular meaning. And it wasn't uh, just that relationship between father and son. It was equating yourself as being equal with. And so this, this comes out very clearly here that by Jesus referring to God as his father and he is the son, he was equating that he was equal with God. And this just drove the religious leaders crazy, literally. And so they rejected his authority. There was no way that they were going to embrace the idea that Jesus was equal with God the Father. And so they disliked his treatment of their religious traditions, but they also rejected his authority. And finally, we see that the religious leaders had a very difficult time with Jesus. Uh, in, in contrast to the, to the common people who were welcoming Jesus in as king and seeing Hallelujah to him as he came into the city. The religious leaders had a hard time with him because they were afraid that they were going to lose their power. They had a pretty comfy relationship with the, the political forces of the day, in particular with the Roman government. Ironically, the Roman government who had come in and had, had taken over and had at some level taken their power, but now over the years, they had become in a, a comfy relationship with the Roman government. And so we find in John chapter 11, this is just one chapter before our text of emphasis today, these words written. Many of the religious leaders who came to visit Mary, so this is a reference now back to the story of Jesus healing Lazarus. Many of the religious leaders who came to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did in raising Lazarus believed in him. But some of them went back to the Pharisee group of the religious leaders and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees, a group of religious leaders, called together a meeting of the Sanhedrin, which was the entire uh, religious leader group. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. He's just raised somebody who was dead for three days back to life. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Well, so what's the problem with that? He's doing good things. But the kicker is this. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. There was concern. 
that if Jesus was allowed to continue doing what he was doing, that the power that they had amassed for themselves, the religious power, the political power, was going to dissipate. And everything was going to change. The Romans would come in. They would take our, the temple, the, the, the place of our religious service, and our nation, the political elements of who they were, and that power would dissipate and they would have no more of it. And so these religious leaders, they were concerned. They didn't like the way that Jesus treated their traditions. They rejected his authority. And finally, they were concerned that they were going to lose a power. They were afraid of losing power. Now, I think if we are honest with ourselves, you know, there's a part of us that would want to say as an individual and me or you and think that, you know, I, if I was back there and I could be there, I would have been welcoming Jesus into the, the city. I would have been part of that group that was singing and had my palm branches out and was welcoming Jesus back into the city. But if I'm really honest with myself, um, I recognize that some of the concerns that the religious leaders had that were so against Jesus are concerns that innately my inner spirit also have. I'd love to think of myself as being part of the group that was welcoming Jesus as king into the city, but the reality is, if I'm honest, my inner being struggles with some of the same things that the religious leaders struggled with. What is it about Jesus that challenges us here today, that challenges me? Well, like the Pharisee, like the religious leaders, I would say that we also don't like it when our traditions are challenged. Do you have, you have traditions, your personal traditions, just things that you like doing? I'm not just talking about you like to celebrate holidays. I'm talking about things that you just, you like. It's part of who you are. You feel like, I just love this this particular element, maybe you've never thought about it, maybe it's subconscious, maybe they're, they're habits, they're, they're things that you like doing, maybe they're even vices, things that aren't good for you, but you don't want anybody to mess with them. Just don't mess with my vices, with my traditions, with my, my likes. We don't like having our traditions mess with, the things that we really care about, the things that we enjoy doing, that may or may not be good for us, the, the things that we have established are part of who we are. We don't like having that messed with. We don't like it when our traditions are challenged. And so like those religious leaders of old, messing with their traditions is a way to, to irritate you. Secondly, we reject the authority of G Jesus, uh, particularly when he says things that conflict with our current sensibilities. Oh, that can't, be, that, that can't be from God. You read something, you hear something that Jesus said. By the way, if you, if you read Jesus' most famous sermon, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and aren't a little bit irritated because some of your traditions are challenged and don't feel like, eh, is this really authoritative? You're probably not listening. Jesus said some pretty straight things that, that tend to get right at our traditions, to get right at our, our vices, to get right at the things that we really care about and that we kind of like and we don't want anybody messing with. And so the natural response to, to say, is this authoritative? And yet that's the same response that the religious leaders had. Is Jesus really authoritative? He says who he, who he is, but I just can't believe that. I can't believe who he is or he says he is, and I can't believe what he's saying. 
And so we reject the authority of Jesus, particularly when he says things that conflict with our current ideas or sensibilities. And finally, if we're honest, we're not that much different from the religious leaders of the first century because we have power at some level over ourselves that we just don't want to lose. We, 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 many of us, especially if you're, you're from a, a, a Western culture that prized individualism and being able to make your own choices and to be able to, and to encourage surviving on your own, we have this sensibility that we should be able to take care of ourselves and that we ultimately have power over our own beings. And yet the, the, the challenge of Jesus is that our power over ourselves might be might be dissipated, that we might lose that power if we really, really follow Jesus, if we really, really invest in him. There are elements of our own experience that we won't have control over anymore. And so that makes us uncomfortable. And so what we see here is that uh, Jesus irritates us. He challenges us. His words, his actions, just who he was, was it, it certainly did it for the religious leaders of, of old, but it does it for us too. We're challenged and we're irritated when when Jesus starts messing with our traditions or, 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 and we, we then question his authority and we're afraid that we're going to lose some element of power in our lives over our ability to control ourselves. So we're talking today about the God who irritates, an irritating God who starts messing around and we don't like to be messed with because we have the way we want to do things and don't bother me, don't bother me. This is the same spirit of the religious leaders of the first century. Don't mess with what we got going on because it ain't perfect, but it's working for us now. How many of us, that's the response in our own lives when God starts messing around. Listen, listen, listen. It's not great. It's not perfect, but it's working for me now, so quit messing with me. I love to think of myself with the palm branches. Hallelujah! Jesus comes into the city. I'm there. But the reality is, the reality is deep in my inner being, my innate self really resonates with those religious leaders that were irritated with Jesus. Did you like my voice there? I don't sing very often up here. Now you know why. It's not good. Nick won't let me sing. Nick? You let me. Yeah. It's gracious of you. So, if innately Jesus irritates the senses of humanity and it challenges our power and potentially our autonomy, and yet following him is the hope for the future, what hope do we really have? I mean, if our inner beings really are irritated by some of the things that Jesus calls us into, and, and yet following him is the, the way and the truth and the, the life, what hope do we have? Well, the good news is that Jesus himself has actually fulfilled that what we cannot. You know, we're told that uh, Jesus also had to submit. Jesus also had to give up power. I mean, he became a human for heaven's sake. God eternal becomes human, has to give up himself, submit himself. And then we read narratives like Matthew chapter 26, 
where we're told that Jesus was in the garden the night before he was to die, and he's with his disciples, and he goes off, and he's alone. And we're told that he goes a little bit further away from the disciples, and he fell down on his face. He's agonizing, and he's praying, and he says, My Father, if it is possible, may this sacrifice be taken from me. May this cup be taken from me. See, he, he doesn't, he, he, the idea of submitting everything is challenging even for him. And yet, ultimately, he submits because his immediate response, he doesn't wait for God to respond as, your will, not my will. Your will, not my will. See, sometimes I have a really difficult time submitting to things that God irritates me with. Jesus was able to be submissive when I am not. John chapter 12, Jesus said, I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his commands lead to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus had this submissive life where he is connected to the Father, and he has done what I'm not able to do. He's able to be submissive, even when it it, it means that he's going to have to be sacrificed. When harmful things are going to happen to him, Jesus has done what I am irritated by the thought of having to do. The good news for us today is that because Jesus has followed through and done what we cannot do, we have hope for a new kind of life. Jesus has fulfilled all of God's requirements. Jesus has done what we could not do, and as we embrace his work, we have hope that God can start working in us to change those areas that are challenged and irritated by him. Jesus, by the way, told us in Matthew chapter 28, right before he was to to leave, he ascended and leave planet earth, he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And Hebrews chapter 4 says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds death, that is the devil. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The good news is this, we are desperately challenged and quite frankly irritated by some of the things that Jesus himself uh, confronts us with. But Jesus has submitted to God in a way that we have never been able to. Because he has done that, and because he was given power and authority over all things, as we connect with him and embrace his work, God is able to start working in us to have a new attitude about the things that formerly irritated us. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were challenged by Jesus. And their response was, ultimately, crucify him. Crucify him. Take him away. Get rid of him. I I don't want to be irritated anymore. Let's just get rid of him. We, too, face the God who irritates, the God who challenges and so we have, to, we have to acknowledge that we too are going to have to have a response. And what is our response going to be? Take him away? Take the irritant away? You know, sometimes irritating things are good for us. I was, uh, I was running with my, one of my friends here at Avon Hope. 
and we were running every morning. I've told you about this. Tell you again. We were running, we were exercising, and it felt so good. But I started to have a little, little nagging irritant in my hip slash lower back. But you know what I did? I ignored it because I'm an idiot. So I kept running. By the way, people were telling me, Helen, my dear friend Helen said to me, have you prepared to run? You're just out running. Have you exercised? Have you built up your muscles to run? And I said, <laughs> so foolish, my friend Helen. Just let me do my thing. But it, was, it started to, to be irritated, and I just ignored it. And then one day early in the morning, because we were waking up oh so early in the morning, at about 6.15 in the morning on the other side of the reservoir. Anyone else? The other side. It waited till the other side. Just things went bonkers. The whole, the spasms, whatever else. I looked, I was like this on the other side of the reservoir. And so, you know, I, I, I had to be helped back across the reservoir, around the reservoir. And it was just a, it was a, uh, i to get rid of that flower on me. So sorry. Excuse me. OCD. There we go. Anyway, hip froze up, brought back. It would, had I only listened to that little irritation and not avoided, I would have not spent that next, I don't know, what four or five days with a heating pad wrapped up in such a, an awkward uh, position, just waiting for that to release. And so now I know if I had listened to the, the, the irritant, I would have done things like stretched more. I would have listened to, to, to my friend and I would have exercised. Get my, so I'm very stiff, if you've never noticed that before. That's my, my favorite evaluation. My, my friend, medical friend, said, you are stiff. It's my favorite evaluation of all, all time because I'm not sure if they meant you know, physically, spiritually. It probably applies to all of it. Anyway, very stiff. And so you know what I need to be doing before I'm out running is, is yoga and, and, and stretching and exercising. And so if I had only listened to the irritant, I would have saved a lot, a lot of pain. And so sometimes irritating things are good for us because they help us to see the areas in which we need true transformation. And so the idea that Jesus is irritating, when we're irritated by Jesus, watch out. Maybe where we're being irritated is an area where we need transformation and change. I would guess that there are some of you today who are really irritated by God working in your life right now. God communicating with you in a way that is just driving you nuts. No, 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 not that area. Please, please not that area. It's annoying. It's irritating when God comes into our experience and, and, and opens up things that we need to change. But irritation is, is good, a little, 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 a little warning for the transformation that needs to happen in our experience. Painful and irritating things can be signals of areas that we need internal change, change that is only going to happen as God is allowed by us to work in our experience to make the necessary adjustments to help us live holistically and holy in relationship with him and with each other. And so if you're being irritated uh, today, God has been speaking to you, that's good news. That means uh, God's spirit working in your 
in your heart, working in your inner being. By the way, when you stop being irritated by things, that is not a good sign. Either you are perfectly fit spiritually, which is amen for you, or, or you've just turned off that receptor and you're missing out on the change and what's going to happen is catastrophic is potentially going to happen. God irritating our, our spirit, helping us to understand where we need transformation and change, but then not leaving us to change on our own. That's the really good news. Not just go get it together. No, you're not going to get it together. The good news is, though, Jesus always had it together, and as we embrace his work, he is able to empower us because he has been given all authority on heaven and earth to experience transformation and change in those areas that we're being irritated. And so our work is to acknowledge the ways in which God is irritating us today, the, way, the, the ways that Jesus challenges us, challenges our, our, our power, challenges our traditions, challenges our vices. It's God's spirit working in us, and so to acknowledge that, and then to make a simple call. Not the way the, the religious leaders of the first century do who said, take it away. Take it away. Don't take it away. You want to be irritated in the areas that need transformation needs to happen. They said, take it away, take it away, crucify him. Listen, by the way, somebody is going to die in this equation. Either you are going to be for Jesus dying, crucify him, take it away, or you're going to experience death. This is one of the great metaphors of Christianity that we experience death. You experience, if you're going to embrace a relationship with Jesus, that requires that you die because there are some things that need to die in your experience. In Romans chapter 6, what shall we say then? The great Apostle Paul, who's talking about this very issue, says, shall we go on sinning? Shall we go on living in those, with those things in our life that really aren't healthy for us in the first place? No means. We are those who have died to sin, he's talking to a group who've already embraced the relationship with Jesus. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized, we just celebrated baptism in a couple weeks. All of us who were baptized, if you are baptized, if you acknowledge and embrace God's work through Jesus on your behalf, you are in Christ Jesus and you are in his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. God working in us, sometimes irritating us, helping us to see the areas in our experience that need to be transformed and changed and then giving us the promise that as we embrace him, we can experience death, but a good kind of death. A death that brings new life in us. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't say, get out of here when you feel the irritant. Otherwise, the, 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 the unhealthiness is going to live in your inner being and it's going to afflict you. And some days it's just going to go crazy and you're going to have spasms and it's going to be a mess and you're going to be a mess. Embrace the God who irritates for good 
and let him do his transforming work in you. Work you will never, ever be able to do on your own. But as you connect with him, acknowledge, repent from the areas in which are hurting you. Acknowledge that he's able to do in you what you cannot do for yourself. God can bring transformation. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness but rather offer yourselves to God as those have, who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. God is calling us into a relationship with him. A relationship where he transforms and changes us and helps us to live a whole and full and healthy life. Spiritually healthy and as we journey together over these next few weeks looking at God's work in Jesus in a very particular way, next week, again, Friday night, Good Friday, as we remember Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, we come together and we recognize that God has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and he has transformative power that we can tap into to experience transformation that is death. But it's all to bring each of us into new life in him. Will you say this confession with me? Repeat after me. Oh God, I confess that your spirit irritates me. But I believe in the power of the resurrection. And I want that spirit to continue its irritating work in me. Amen.